Hi, I'm Lisa Moore, one of the pastors here at GT Church in Victoria, BC. Welcome to our podcast. All of the content you'll find here is meant to point you to Jesus and to encourage you in your journey wherever you're at. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, church. How are you doing today? You knew I was going to say that, right? Last time I always get, yeah, I always make you guys say it back to me, but you were ready. Well done. Well done, church. It is a good morning to be here. I want to welcome all those who are new. My name is Lucas. I'm one of the pastors here. And I just want to say thanks for joining us. Um, this morning is exciting, and I want to say why. Um, because Pastor Andy is preaching actually at our West Shore campus. That's the first time he's been able to go there. Like, he's been there uh, uh, once, I believe, but he's been able to go there and actually preach to that community. And I just got to say that this community and our 9 a.m., like, just have been the bedrock for so long and now again we get to see just the fruit and the multiplication and and I just want to honor you and say thank you that you continue to give and allows Andy to go and preach that community and we get to have the six and ignite at two and all of that because we continue to believe for more and continue to push ahead so love you guys so much it's my honor and privilege to preach this morning and when you see me it doesn't mean just Andy's way like he's doing ministry as well and I think that's really exciting and it's powerful and it's good and that shows that we're moving forward as a church amen Amen. We're in week two, or question two, however you want to look at it, of our series, Questions Jesus Asked, a series where we kind of deep dive into the Gospels, uh, really kind of gearing up towards Easter and more, um, and just looking at the questions that Jesus asked, which is an interesting thing, right? Like, you have this guy who is all God, all human, and he's asking us questions, asking people questions. And so when we look at these questions, you definitely have to have... Um, I don't know, it, you have to look at it with all the depth that it comes with, you know? This morning, it's titled, today's question, a, a dangerous question. Last week was the ultimate question. This week, it's a dangerous question. Because as I read this scripture, as I look at this question, I'm, it packs a bit of a punch. Like, it's got, it's, you almost don't even know how to respond. The, the, the conversation that Jesus is having, I'm, I'm not even sure the guy knew how to respond in some way. It's a question where you're not fully sure on how to answer. How to answer, excuse me. It reminds me of the question that my wife will ask me. How does this look? <laughs> That's a dangerous question, right? All the husbands in here, you know what I'm talking about. Like, there is one answer, and that answer is, wow, right? That's all I say now. I'm just like, wow. I get to go out with you? Come on. And then she goes, I know you're lying, and goes right back in and changes, and you're like, yeah, what am I supposed to say? You won't believe me, you know? Maybe even it's like you're going out with your friends, right? You're like, how do I look? Do I look good? And you're like, good. Yeah, do I look good, bro? Yeah, I look good. Okay. You look, you look fine. You ever gotten that one before? It's funny because Trina will ask me, and I'll be like, you look amazing. Are you sure? Yes. Are you sure? You look awesome. And then I'm like, how do I look? Ah. And then she walks away. You're like, cool. Right on. Or now it has some new context with kids. This is what I find. This is a dangerous question from the kids. The kids will look at you. But we'll do this. He'll show me a drawing. Like, George is very good at drawing, coloring, better than me at drawing since she was, like, three. Like, honestly. And, and Bo will do, Dad, Dad, look at mine. And it's just, like, awful. Like, the worst picture you've ever seen. Like, terrible. He's three. Leave him alone. Like, he's not good at drawing. He'll do other things great. It's fine. I'm not worried about it. Neither should you. But it's bad. Like, it's really bad. And he looks at me, and it's like, look at, Dad, look what it is. I'm like, it's a wonderful Dinosaur. It's a race car, Dad. Race car, that's what I was saying. It's room, yeah. Recycling, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's a time waster for Bo. Like, he's beautiful, I love him. He's great, but it's not. There's dangerous questions out there, and, and we have them, and we see them. 
I love my son, relax. If you're new, he's great. Don't worry, he's, he's well-loved and fed, it's good. But this question Jesus asks, it's interesting, it's dangerous. It's like, it just, I don't know, it almost rubbed me the wrong way as I was studying it. I know that sounds maybe odd, but it just was like, what is he getting at? And so today, I just wanna like, I wanna tackle it together. And we're really gonna be verse by verse a lot, which I know sometimes can be difficult to follow, but there's just so much context and nuance here that we have to unpack it. And so we are in John chapter five, starting in verse one. There's a Bible in front of you. It's gonna be up on the screens. If you're watching online, maybe you wanna go get your Bible right now so you can have it in your hands. That's a, that's a great idea. It says this in verse one. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda. It is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Okay, what he's saying there really quick, just to cover the context, is Jesus is actually, as a Jew, he's walking up, kind of doing a pilgrimage to Jerusalem for one of the festivals. Seven main festivals, three more, like kind of main ones that you'd actually, depending on your location to Jerusalem, you'd actually have to walk up to and go towards. Like it was part of the law, like you had to go within 20 miles. And so he's walking to actually go to one of these festivals. What's so interesting now as we look back at the scriptures, as we look into this moment, as Jesus knew, but many people didn't, as, as, is that these festivals, these dinners, these different things they're about to do symbolize him. They symbolize the, the coming Messiah. Like Passover meal is, is in direct correlation to Jesus the Messiah. The Jews are set up, embedded, engraved in this sort of constant symbolic sort of reality, and yet Jesus is here. He's coming. He's, he's actually headed towards it. And then it says this, that there was this sheep gate, a pool, all these different things, Bethesda. What we know here is that there is this place that this man was sitting, and we'll get to it in a minute, and he, it's this healing pool, as, they, as it'll later say. We assume, I think for many of us, and we love this, we love healings in the Bible because Jesus was a healer. Absolutely he was. But I think for some of us, we take this approach to Jesus and the Gospels that he was just a healer. That's what Jesus, he just loved people and he just walked and roamed and healed and that's what he, that was his thing. Friends, that was not his primary office. His primary office was to come and to point to himself, showing the world, to preach, to bring the good news, to reset the kingdom of God. That's why he came. Now, did he come and heal? Absolutely, praise God, right? Absolutely. But in this moment, and in many moments in the Bible, it's this moment where it's almost an inconvenience. But in Jesus' eyes, it's not. He stops. He sees one single guy. On his way to do something else, he stops, and he leans in. Friends, I'm telling you right now, no matter what you've been through, Jesus has stopped. He is leaning in. Maybe you're feeling lonely and alone. You're going to relate to our story today. Jesus is leaning in. There is nobody that's an inconvenience for him. He goes out of his way for us. Amen? That's what the cross is all about. And I think sometimes we think this is just what he did. In fact, he went out of the way to heal and be compassionate and lay hands on and have conversations. That is the God of the universe taking time away from everything else he has to do to lean in, to love, to heal. It's more profound when we view it that way, amen? Like it is. And so they're here. They're at the sheep gate, the pools, Bethesda, covered in colonnades. Why does John put this in? I just wanna do a quick tangent, on, on just a side note here. If you're not a believer, this verse is for you. That's right. The sheep gate, you get that one. <laughs> what do I mean by that? I love the book of John. You guys know this. Like, I like anytime Andy, he, he was ever to say to me, do, preach on what, wherever you're feeling. I'll be like, 
we're going to the Gospel of John. Like, I love it. Youth ministry, it's just so beautiful. It's 90% unique to the other Gospels. It mainly covers Passion Week, which is, again, fitting for us, the week before and after Easter. I love this book. And often John is looked at kind of this, this may be a bit odd term for some of you, but like a love letter, not in a romantic way, but like God's sacrifice to us and just his overabundance of love to us. And John as an author doesn't get the same kind of prowess and reputation that the other gospel writers do. You have Matthew, this brilliant Jewish writer who's setting up this new Torah, the first five books in his writing, very methodical and beautiful. And you have Mark who's Peter's disciple, and it's like his memoir, and it's Peter's firsthand eyewitness accounts, and you have Luke, the doctor, historian, like, you can't do two verses without getting some sort of historical fact from Luke, you know, it's this very, and you have acts which are combined with it, and he's this church planter, and it's powerful, and then you have John, bro to Jesus, like, that's, that's the resume, like, he writes in the book of John, the one whom he loved, that's how he refers to himself in the book of John, it's like, cool, dude, you guys were close. We get it. Like, anything else you want to you wanna amp this up a little bit? And it kind of just sits there. And so for a very long time, John kind of gets this, not as, he just gets a bit of a bad rap. And many people even were like, you see this verse? We've never even seen this. This, this location is off. John's just pumping up his best friend. He's just advocating for his best buddy. No, 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 friends. This place, exact place, was dug up in the 1940s. They found this place. There's this documentary. I was watching this this week that there was a quote that said, without any hesitation, it may be stated that no archeological study has ever contradicted biblical study. Why this tangent? Friends, you may see something in here you don't understand. Don't give up on God because of one small verse. Man, this is powerful. This, this book, there's so much authority and love and grace and wisdom. And when we stop treating it because one verse, when we start throwing away the whole thing because one thing we don't understand, we're missing out on something powerful and beautiful. There is life in this book. Ask questions. God's not scared of them. Amen? So, to our story. Verse 3. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie. It says the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. That's a, that's a paraplegic. And for them, again, there's a bit of this like sort of historical mythology around these pools. It believed that the Lord would bring an angel down and when the angel would touch the pool, it would bubble up and the first person in would be healed. And so you have to understand that there's this aqueduct below and people would see that and they'd rush assuming that this was their healing. So imagine for a second being a paraplegic for 38 years, lying beside what he sees as perceived hope Imagine lying beside a place where you believe your, your, almost your salvation, your healing would be, never to reach it. Two feet too close and two feet like too far away. Hoping and dreaming and believing and yet being in acceptance of complete misery and despair. 38 years, not moving, not being clean, unable to clean yourself, full acceptance that there is no healing, it's so close yet so far, being looked at, made fun of, that I'll never be healed, I'll never be a part of community. Just consider the emotional pain. Consider the physical pain. Consider that this man truly is a complete tragedy. And Jesus leans in. And Jesus comes. And Jesus stops on his pilgrimage and leans in and kneels down 
and talks and heals and has a conversation. That is the God of the universe. Verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned he had been in this condition for a very long time, he asked him, here's our question, church, you ready? Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Yes. Like, what other answer is there? Imagine this. Like, for a second, 38 years, paraplegic. Hey, you want to, you tired of this? Imagine saying to someone who's blind, would you, do you want to see? Yeah, yeah, that'd be nice. Imagine saying to someone who has a cancer diagnosis or, or who is deaf or whatever it may be, do you want to be well? Like, this is what I mean by a danger. Like, what do you, I'm surprised this guy didn't, if he probably could, he would have swung at him. Like, it's like, this is, what? This question is so loaded. I just like, I see it and I get a little bit frustrated. I'm like, of course he does, Jesus. Can you just do your thing? Just heal him and, and yes, Jesus, amen. Like, what are we waiting here for? What's the point? You can even see in the guy's response, verse 7, it says this, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me get into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else gets down ahead of me. I'm trying. I, I always get beat. Like, what do you want from me, man? Would you give me a break? Why don't you help me instead of talking to me? Lift me in. Maybe stay here a day, and then tomorrow we can be the first people. Like, what, what are you doing? Why are you asking me questions? There, are, there is obviously a deeper meaning to this. I'm just trying to create the tension that I'm sure he's feeling, that we're all feeling, because I'm sure, I'm sure we've been there. God, would you just, like, take care of this already? God, would you just heal these migraines that I've suffered with for years and years? Why won't you just take care of it, Lord? Why won't you just handle this? It's hard. It's heavy. A few thoughts on, on the deeper meaning behind the question, the, almost the, the thoughts behind the question. Firstly, Jesus wanted to see if his mindset would change, not just his body too. Like, wanted to see if his mindset would change as well. If we look at verse 7 again, it says, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me get into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, everyone else goes down ahead of me. It's funny, he doesn't actually answer, yes, I'd like to be healed. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, that'd be awesome, do you know someone? What are, you, what are you saying? Can you help me? Do you have an answer? Immediately, because of his 38 years of pain and suffering, he starts pointing at all the reasons, doesn't he? Like, I'm not trying to be hard on him. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to, you know, input into the scripture that isn't there. But he, he begins, if you will, to make excuses and blame others. Like, for me, it's obvious. Yeah, duh. Like, hello, obvious. My kids always say that to me. Uh, kind of obvious, Dad. Like, who taught you that? What are you... Where's that coming from? But this is the same idea. And, and he makes excuses. He blames others. He points everywhere else. And again, I am not suggesting this man has had an easy life and he should just figure it out. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that, that when you're going through an awful time that you should just be happy and be positive and everything's going to be okay. I'm not saying that. I'm not suggesting to you that, that maybe even leaning in and understanding hardships and trauma and things won't be helpful to uncover important things in your life. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that. But let me be honest and candid with you. The question Jesus asked isn't actually, do you want me to heal you? It's how will you respond when I do? Very different question. He's not just saying, hey, do you want to be healed? He's saying, what's going to happen afterwards? If I heal you, are you going to be here tomorrow? 
If I heal you, are you going to be right back where you started? If I heal your body, is your mindset free as well? What are you going to do? What happens afterwards? You've heard the quote maybe that misery loves its company. And for him, he's been stuck in this life for so long, it's all he knows. And Jesus is literally leaning in saying, I know you're hurt. I know this is wild. I know you've been here for a long time. But what will happen after? Will you just go on with life, thanking yourself, your good fortune? Oh, I got lucky. Yeah, I just, who knew? Oh, I got this. I figured it out. Will you change, Jesus is saying? Will you still be miserable? Will you still be here at these pools? He's asking, listen, if your body is clear of sickness, will your mind be clear? Or are you going to prefer to choose to live this way? Because Jesus loves us enough to heal us, but he loves us enough to give us the choice. And sometimes, even in this moment, we want healing, and yet we almost don't want our situation to change because it's all we know, it's all we're comfortable with, and we're scared of the faith and the place that God is actually calling us to. It's beyond just our circumstances we have right in front of us. Can you push on, he's saying? Can you take this redemption in your body and push it into a greater redemption in your entire life? If you've been around church long enough, you've probably heard this, this idea like your, your test is his testimony or your testimony. Your mess is his message. Have you heard that before? Yeah, of course, because I've, I've preached it. I've said it. It's true. It's not a lie. It's not wrong. A bit cheesy, maybe. A little bit, you know, hallmarky. But it's true. It's, it's real. It's honest. And I think sometimes, I don't know if it's just the cultural shift, but we like to share the test and the mess. And we like to sit in the test and the mess more than proclaim the goodness of God and his faithfulness in his message and our testimony. To be honest, I see it in young adults. Lots of them aren't here right now, so I'm going to pick on them. I do. I see it. And I'm just having a conversation with a person recently, and I just, just overloaded and cannot see past just the hardship in front of them. I'm trying to help them see everything else that God is doing, and yet it's just not enough. Uh, I get it. We want, we want so bad someone to empathize with us and affirm us, and, and that's important. And I think on one side, we've had this long kind of almost just pick yourself up, just, just figure it out. Like, you know, like you'll be fine. Just tough it out. Just keep pushing through. And then on the other side, maybe more in today's world or whatever, even in this generation, it's more like feel your feelings and just work through it all, like feel to heal. And I think Jesus is kind of over here being like, this is important, and and yet also I'm asking you something really important over here, that what happens afterwards? Let me share a story that maybe will help kind of bring this together. My grandma, whom I love and is in heaven now, um, she, she was married to a man named John. My name is Lucas John. We have Levi John LJ, and, and he was a pastor in Prince George. And he was a pastor of this church in the city. His close friend was a pastor in, in rural Prince George. And they together went on a hunting trip. Some of you have heard this story, but it really ties us together. They together went on a hunting trip. And um, after this hunting trip, my grandpa and my grandma and, and their two daughters, who my mom and my auntie, uh, my auntie was, I, th I think, two years old, and my mom was eight months or six months or something years old. They were to go and plant a new church in Toronto, taking a different job and going elsewhere. So it was hunting trip, pack, and they're off. And on this hunting trip, the plane went down, 
Both pastors died, shattering the community, leaving my grandma, a widow, with two baby girls, two and under. And in that moment, I can't imagine the misery. I can't imagine the heartache, the disappointment. Your whole life, this new life you've pictured, now gone. And so they moved down to the mainland, a little bit more Langley area, and many of you know the story, and even knew my grandma, and, 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 and they find community, and my grandma lives her life just raising two girls with help from even some of you, and gets married way later in her 60s, and I remember sitting down with my grandma after some of her great-grandchildren had been born, my brother had some kids, and just asking her, like, why don't you ever talk about Grandpa John? It never comes up. I never hear about it. And I remember just straight up asking her, Grandma, do you, do you wish it never happened? Do you wish you could all go back and change everything? She was like, no. No. We'd be in Toronto. She said, I'd be in Ontario. Who wants to live there, right? <laughs> she said, Lucas, why would I think about and talk about and reminisce about death when all I see is life? When I see kids and grandkids and family I love, why would I hope for something different when God has fulfilled everything he said he would do right here? God is good. He is faithful. I have life and family and things to be grateful for right here, right now. Why would I look back when I can look forward? Like Paul says, I stop looking back and I start looking, pressing on toward the goal ahead, ahead pressing on towards heavenward. Amen? I don't need to look back anymore because God is good. He is faithful to the end. We sing it all the time. Why would I look at death when I can reminisce and be thankful for life, life that only God can bring? And I think sometimes we want to sit over here and God's calling us to something different. And he's literally asking this guy, I think, I know you want to be well, but are you going to actually get up? Are you going to pick up that mat? Are we going to start walking ahead? Are we going to start pressing on towards something new? Are you going to, are you going to be here tomorrow? Or are we going to bring your testimony somewhere else tomorrow? Because that's what I'm calling you to. Leaving the past behind, press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward, Paul writes. We, we, we talked about it in our Philippians 3 series. And Jesus is kneeling down, leaning in, looking at this man who gets no attention, saying, I see you, I know it's been hard, but I'm here and there is resurrection life for you. That's literally what verse 8 is saying. Then Jesus said, said to him, this is verse 8, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and he began to walk. This word get up is the same word that he, John uses later for resurrection. And, and when he talks about Lazarus in John 16, or when he starts talking about the resurrection to his disciples afterward, that's what he's saying. He's saying there's resurrection life for you. New, profound resurrection life. Jesus actually says it about himself. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And I think it's John 11. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. That's the life he's calling us to, church, to a resurrection life. So no matter what's happening, no matter how heavy, no matter how physically like, difficult the, the, the pain you may be in, there is healing for you, but he's also calling you to the after part of it, the healing later on, the, 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 the pushing forward. He's calling you to healing and resurrection life. That's what he's saying to this guy. And it's hard. I get it. Because, man, it's been a hard go. COVID was, like, it's, it's hard. 
I was miserable during COVID. Ask Pastor Lisa. She just stopped inviting me to meetings because I just wasn't that helpful anymore. And to her credit, probably a good move. Like, like it was hard, wasn't it? It is hard. And if you're watching online, and no matter where you are, I know this has been hard. And everyone has different nuance to this. I get that. This mess can be over, but will you leave it here? That's what Jesus is saying. And press on into the journey of healing. That's why a common person says that like, it's our goal, it's our heart to help people on their spiritual journey, taking next steps. Like That's where we win. Maybe you're watching online and it's just been hard for you. Maybe God is calling you to leave it down and come into resurrection life, whatever that may be for you. Secondly, the deeper meaning behind this, and this will be a bit quicker, is there was a cost to this healing. Verse 9, excuse me, it says, The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. Verse 10, And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, It's a Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. I can't even read that without being like, What? Like, imagine telling a 38-year paraplegic, I'd prefer if you, you sat. Would you mind? It's not. How dare you? But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick, pick it up, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? Jesus knew the power he was speaking with. And I think he was leaning in saying, do you want to be well? Because this is going to ruffle some feathers. This is going to shift some things. There is a paradigm here that people have and they're not going to get it. It's festival, right? It's a Sabbath. This is, listen, guy, are you going to, because this is going to, this is going to change some things. And I just want you to, to know, Jesus for us is demonstrating what we need to do. He's demonstrating a Christological characteristic here, okay? A Christ-centered characteristic that, that we as Christians need to cultivate in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, like, when we see something that someone continues to say and is continually, honestly, wrong, we need to actually step up and say, I don't know where you're getting that perspective from, but that's not, that's not what I believe. I used to work at a, a tool rental shop, and there was this guy, Big Ray, and every time I walked past him, we talk, and, and I remember saying, man, you should go to church with me sometime. It'd be fun. And he was like, maybe you've heard this. If I walk into church, poof, lightning bolt, God's going to zap me right then and there. He used to always say this again and again, and I would just laugh it off because he's just, I know he's doing, he's being funny. And, and then I thought, I wonder if he truly is that concerned about stepping foot into a building like this. And so finally he started, you know what, you know what I always say? I'm like, no, stop for a second. That's not going to happen when you walk into the church. I promise. It's only ever happened once and it won't happen to you. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm like, no, like, where do you get that idea? Are you, are, you, are you excited about how bad your life's been and you feel like that's how God reacts? Because the God I serve, the God I believe in, his love is so great. It's so powerful. It doesn't matter what you've done. Here's what's going to happen. I remember breaking it down for him. You're going to walk in. People are going to welcome you. Maybe a little bit too much. You're going to be so, you're going to be like, whoa, because he's kind of like a, you know, he's maybe, maybe a bit too much for you. Then you're going to find your seat. And then we're going to challenge you. And then you're going to hear words and a message. It's going to be great. There may even be a welcome party after. Welcome party after for those who are new. Like, it's going to be a great environment. And you're going to hear a message about love and grace and mercy and hope and life with purpose. That's what you're going to hear. That's what he's going to hear. 
And sometimes we need to actually stop what we see around us and say, listen, I don't know where you got that perspective, but that's not the God I serve. It's important in a loving way, in a way that's challenging, but like grace-filled and says, I, I, I'm not sure what, maybe where you grew up and what you've seen, but that's, that is not the Jesus I read about and know. We have to cultivate this. We have to cultivate this. The Bible says, if anyone then, this is James 4, knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Friends, I think Jesus is calling you into certain places in your work, your friends, and you've been a little scared to or not sure how to, how to talk to them about it. Listen, if you know it's God pushing you and pulling you to, to say something and speak up in this moment, help someone see Jesus in his light, please do it. God's calling you to it. Final thought here. This final kind of deeper meaning behind the question is this. It's that the, his initial faith wasn't the priority, but the man's future discipleship was. And this is really important because it kind of messes with our idea and concept of healing, I think, a little bit. Let's read it together. This is verse 13. It says this. The man who was healed had no idea who, who excuse me, had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said, see, you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. So hold on a second. This guy didn't even know who Jesus was. Could not give you his name. But wait a minute. In Mark 2, when those guys come and they put that hole in the roof and they lower their friend down, don't they, doesn't Jesus point up and say, your faith has healed him? The man who was healed had no idea who it was. Man, Jesus loves everyone, eh? Faith wasn't a prerequisite here, which is challenging. I get that. But the man's future was, his discipleship was, his heart was. And you have to look at this and say, whoa, what's going on here? And Jesus is actually telling us something that's really important. He's saying your healing journey truly starts with the sickness of sin. And I know this is not the place that people want to hear. I know this is not where you feel like we want to land. But what actually needs to be solved is the sin. That's what Jesus says. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The idea that Jesus is saying there's something in your heart that's going on that is quite literally worse than 38 years being unable to move speaks to the gravity of sin. It also speaks to the gravity of his love that he would come for you and for me saying, I'll take all of it. We're coming into Easter. He's not saying, listen, you, you, you're sinning and you need to deal with it and you need to push through. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying there is sin in your heart and I have come. I am the Savior. You can take it on, but I will do it for you. And then we will journey together in healing and we will find wellness together in healing. That's the whole beautiful aspect of Jesus is that he does it with you. Amen? That's what he's saying here. Maybe you've never even heard that message before. Maybe you've come with a friend or someone brought you because they promised you lunch afterward. Jesus is literally leaning in and saying, I know you don't even know who I am, but I know who you are. I know you've never seen me before, but I've always seen you. I know that you've been dealing with something that's really hard and really heavy. I know how it feels. I took all the wrath 
and the pain and the hurt and the sin and the brokenness on the cross so you wouldn't have to. Your sin matters, but my love matters more. We sing a song all the time. Your sin, is, your sin was great, but my love was greater. That's the point of Easter. That's where we're headed. The resurrection life, church. Are you seeing it? Man. as a pastor, it's my heart to share with you even online that the dangers of sin, they're heavy. They're real. But the power of Jesus is so much stronger and is so much more real. There's this, this book that Mark Clark wrote. He's a pastor and, and he wrote this in The Problem of Jesus. It says, Jesus knows something we know and I'm closing here. Jesus knows something we know, but we refuse to embrace. It's an interesting line there. That in life, there are no easy, quick answers. When we face demons in our life, the answer most often isn't deliverance, but discipleship. Isn't that interesting? That, por that porn addiction that, or shopping addiction doesn't just disappear overnight. It takes time and hard work. Narrow is the road that leads to life, and only few find it. The road to transformation is tough. It's not felt in power encounter or flashy instances for most of us. That can happen. But hard fought in the dark when nobody is looking at us amidst sweat and tears, confusion and prayer. Friends, do not despair. God is there. And if I can just give us one practical step as we close, there is a reason, church, that we continue to push and promote freedom groups. It's not like we just feel like, oh, we should do this. Friends, we need this. Freedom groups are not just designed for people with addictions. That's not necessarily the only category. That, like Andy has said, that may be helpful if that's you. But freedom is a place you come to find freedom. I know it sounds so easy, like, what are you saying? I'm saying that we sometimes are like the Israelites, where out of slavery from our oppressors, as they were, they were still condemned by their obsessions. They, they could not, for the life of them, Although they had left Egypt, Egypt didn't leave them. It sat right here on their heart. They were free. They were roaming, but they were free. And yet they're still talking about, oh, I just wish we could go back to, to, to whips, to slavery, to what? And for us, friends, the pain sometimes is gone, but the perspective still just sits and festers and sits and festers. And we become like, we're, it's like we're drowning in doubt. Church, hear me online, hear me. Jesus wants to be with you. He wants to save you. He wants to journey beside you in restoration and in resurrection life. It's time to get up. Man, it's time to get up. Maybe you've been watching for two years and, and truthfully, deep down, and listen, I say this all in my heart, there's just so much fear wrapped around coming back. Maybe for you, Jesus is speaking to you. It's time to get up. It's time to get in community. Your story is similar to Christie's. Like, you just know it's time to get up. Resurrection life is ahead of me, and, I'm, and I want to claim it alongside Jesus. I don't have to do this alone. He's not telling me just to stop sinning in my strength. He has come. He brings the strength. He brings the salvation. He brings the freedom. And I'm just tired of seeing it happen. I want to preach it. I want to say it. And I don't mean to talk too fast or get too excited. I just really feel that it's our turn, church. It's our time at, at the 9, at the 11, at the 2, at the 6, at our West Shore campus, in, in, the, in the campuses to come. It's time to get up. Yeah. Time to get up. And he'll go with you. 
And church, we'll do our best to journey with you too. It's time to get free. Don't leave here the same. Join a freedom group. Find community. Find a small group. Run to Jesus. Because there is freedom for you. Can I pray with you? Jesus, right now, we just pray that it's time, Lord, to live in freedom. We ask, Jesus, that you would do what only you can do. Lord, I know you're stirring in my heart because there is brokenness in this room. There is brokenness in the living rooms I'm watching right now. And Lord, I just know it is your heart to bring freedom and reconciliation and love and joy into places that have been joyless and lifeless for years. God, right now we pray in Jesus' name with prayer that this would mark and start the journey to freedom for many people in this room. That there would be people, God, who sense you calling to them, maybe even for the first time, maybe even though they feel like they don't know you, they can resonate with this man's story because, Jesus, you're calling to them now that you see them where they're at and you want to bring them into resurrection life, life that changes them, life that isn't full of misery or loneliness, but life that is full of community and joy and gratitude. God, I pray for the person who is on that long road to healing, who's been at it for weeks or months or even years. God, I pray for a continued perseverance and a confidence that you are doing more than they can even see. God, you do immeasurably more. Your word says it. And I just pray right now over every person, over every marriage, over every household, over every child, that the, their best days of resurrection life are still to come that those people who have felt like they're drowning in pain would know, Jesus, you're speaking them to, to them now, that you do want to heal them physically. God, we pray for that in Jesus' name, for the migraines and the back pains, God, and the physical pain and the cancer diagnosis. The person I was praying with before, Lord, just the, the grief, the loss, in Jesus' name, we're in healing that, like only you can. And God, we ask right now that we would be a church that gets up that chases the call, that journeys with you. Church, why don't we go ahead and stand to our feet right now? Would we sing? Would we praise you? Would we know that the best days are still to come because you are journeying with us in healing? In Jesus' mighty name we pray for freedom. Amen? God, for real freedom. We love you, Lord. Amen.